This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network, the only dedicated hunting, shooting and fishing radio show here in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about AHP, visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to email us, then you can go to the website and click on the contact icon. Or alternatively, you can email me directly at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast, you can visit the website and click on the archived podcast link. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes for automatic updates. Make sure you leave a comment and rate us five stars on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. On Facebook, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast, where listeners are sharing ideas, thoughts and opinions, as well as photos and videos twitter.com forward slash ahpodcast if you'd like to follow our twitter feed you can also check out my videos on youtube under the name aussie federal control alternatively all social media links can be found on the website everyone knows i love my listeners but i've got especially some extra special love for my donating listeners if you'd like to donate or do a monthly subscription to the show go to the website and click on the donate button on the right hand side of the main page and show your support which is always appreciated that helps us keeps the lights on in this joint and pay those bills we have over 65 hours of free podcasting audio content to date for you all to enjoy Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people as you know into hunting, shooting and fishing as possible so they can enjoy this fantastic lifestyle that we all love. So as usual, without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Andy Mallon, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, that's good, Jason. Thanks very much for asking me. No um, worries, mate. Appreciate it. Mate tell, us, mate, tell us about yourself. I know you're into a lot of things. I think you know, we were at Robert Borzak's house probably, what, six months ago doing a uh, sausage and, and deer caping or sort of demonstrations. I mean, tell us about yourself. I mean, do you hunt, shoot, fish, all of the above, or what do you enjoy? No, oh, I don't fish too much these days. I just don't have enough time. But um, I have been known to wet a line and catch a few, but I'm, I'm a hunter. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm 60 years of age. Uh, just recently, um, and for my 60th, I shouted myself a brand new Merkel, so I was pretty happy about that. But <laughs> yeah. um, I've been hunting since I was 14 years of age. Um, I shot my first bunny at Kangaroo Valley when I was 14 with a little air rifle. Uh, yeah. I aimed at the front rabbit in the pack, but managed to shoot the last one. Yeah. So that was a, a valuable lesson in leading. Um, I've worked uh, in a number of games. I've been working for family business for 30 odd years. Uh, involving tree surgery, uh, arborist type work, and cherry picker hire. I've uh, spent 
seven years with the Game Council of New South Wales as a game manager. Uh, I was in their sort of second intake. They, they went around the first five years and then they, um, they rehired a few guys and I was one of them. Yep. Absolutely enjoyed the work. It was a great job, great concept. Learned a lot. Met some really good people over the years and um, a bit of a change in direction for both Game Council, Game Licensing Unit and myself and I now find myself working for SSAA as the range manager. But as I say, I hunt. I, uh, I have quite a large firearms collection. I, <laughs> I have a few favourites. Um, I like to hunt pigs and deer and rabbits. And I recently got a taste for African hunting. And um, I'll tell you a bit more about that as we go. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy the work at the range. I enjoy the interaction with all the different disciplines. Um, you're never too old to learn and every day out there you, you run into a little situation where you pick up something or you're able to pass something on to somebody. So it's a very rewarding job. Absolutely, mate. Tell us, I mean, how did you get into it? Was your family, you know, back in back in the day, were they big on hunting? Was it a family tradition? Mum, dad, brothers? How did you sort of get into it yourself? Well, I didn't know my grandfather that well, but he was a, a very keen hunter. Um, but I've obviously got that bit of a genetic link with him. Um, my father, on the other hand, was a World War II veteran and was shot up pretty badly on a number of occasions in Syria and the Lebanon and um, then finally in New Guinea with a, a blast from a machine gun. And uh, he hated guns. And he said to me many times as I was growing up and into my, into my 40s, he said, listen, son, that Davy Crockett BS will get you nowhere. And uh, wow. I ended up making a living out of it after he passed away, so... He'd be turning in his grave, but um, <laughs> no, there's no real family connection there, but uh, I just got the bug as a young kid, and then I met um, I met a young bloke when I was about 15 from up at Colorinabri, and he came to school in my area in Sydney, and he took me home on the first school holidays, and I've made a, once I got into that pig hunting, I was hooked. Yeah, would so you? That's me. Yeah. yeah, would you say, like, there's always a point, and I know what it is for me, as do a lot of other people. What was that point? Was that that point when, you, you know, you went, oh wow, hunting this hunting? What was that thing that sort of you know made you click and go, yeah, this is great? What experience was it? That experience? It was. It was walking around the paddocks of Collarinabri with my mate, and we weren't hunters. Like I, I had an air rifle and shot a few birds and a few bunnies, and. We're walking around to school kids and there's sheep running this way and cattle going that way and then all of a sudden a big mob of pigs ran out in front of us. And I said, does your dad grow pigs too? He said, oh no, they're a pest. He shoots the odd one for dogs, mate. So I couldn't get back to the house quick enough. <laughs> and we bailed up Mr. Picton and said, listen, Mr. Picton, what's the go of uh, having a crack at these, um, these pigs? And he said, well, can you shoot? I said, oh, I've got an air gun. So he said, come out in the horse paddock. And we walked out in the horse paddock with an old trombone action savage he sat, sat up a kerosene tin at 40 or 50 metres. And he said, when you can put 10 bullets through the end of that drum, come and talk to me. Anyway, he turned on his heel and headed to the gate. He never even got to the gate. Bang, 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 bang. Mr. Picton, I think we can do it. <laughs> and that was it. He, uh, he, he showed us the basics. He said, this is, a, this is a deadly end. And he said, only one bloke has the gun. You share it. And the bloke with the gun's out in front. And yeah. that's why it's got to be. And uh, he shoots. And he shoots until he, uh, if he, if he gets an animal, he's, he, he's good, he hands the gun over. If he mucks it up, he still hands the gun over. So uh, the, the, the incentive was to do it properly and do it cleanly. And uh, we taught ourselves um, how to hunt with a 22 on pigs. And you know, probably a year later, I went back to him and said, you know, there's, 
there's a lot of big pigs out there and the 22 is not quite up to it. And we advanced onto the 303 landfill and uh, we used to travel 12 hours on the train from Sydney, from Central Station up through um, Narrabri and across to Pocketaroo and then we'd get a, a car out for about 100, 120 kilometres to the farm and we we travel with rifles over our shoulder and gun bags and no one even thought twice about it. Yeah, and uh, very it was a change. True. That was back in the what they call the bad old days. But anyway, <laughs> mate, I know you sort of you said you like to hunt game. What is? I mean, if you, I mean, tell us, say your top, you know, two or three. What does Andy Mallon like to go hunting for? Well, I love <laughs> to eat venison, and I enjoy deer hunting. But if I only had one hunt left in me for one reason or another, I think it'd be after pigs. Yeah, I, I love nothing better than sneaking through the lignum on a sneaking hot summer's afternoon, trying to catch them asleep in their beds. So I think that's that's pretty clever. Um, <laughs> and uh, I hunted with a bow for a number of years. I hunted dogs. I hunted pigs with dogs and a knife for a number of years. I bred dogs. Um, I'm not quite fit enough or fast enough to do that anymore. But um, no, I love pig hunting. I enjoy sitting on a hillside and just watching deer. I, I spent some time last weekend with my wife, Margie, sitting down on a, a hillside at Currandurley, and um, we were watching a nice little herd of fallow deer and go about their business, and um, we weren't in a situation to take an animal at that point in time. We just watched them and tried to work out a pattern for the next day, Yep. and the next day we went out and we took a meat animal, and um, you know, if we hadn't have got one, it wouldn't have mattered. We just had a lot of fun sitting up there. We saw a kidna, we saw wombats, uh, snakes, and... Um, Bucket loads of, um, of deer, lots of roos, wallaroos, you know, crows, everything. It was just a good experience to be out in the bush. And, and the bonus at the end was bringing home an esky full of really good venison. And um, Margie cut her teeth on some rabbit busting around the warrens. And um, it was all good. Yeah, exactly. Why do, I mean, I always ask, I've run a segment on my show called The Everyday Hunter, where I sort of, you know, interview people that just go out, sort of enjoy hunting. But... You know, what is it sort of, you know, if you could break it down, tell us what it means for you to be a hunter, say, in a shooter in Australia in the 20th century. Oh, mate, I think we're, um, we're probably, uh, we're not a dying race, but the uh, general public is, is moving away from looking after themselves. You know, we, I'd like to be able to think that I can look after myself and those that rely on me. And, um, and, and hunting is a, a very, you know, it's a, it's a primal thing. And, yep. Um, like this, this weekend, we went, we shot a deer, we hung it up, we cleaned it up, we processed it, we brought it home, we cut it up yesterday and we had some of it for dinner last night. And, and that's just a nice, it's quite rewarding. And to it know is. that you kill the animal cleanly, it, uh, it didn't die surrounded by friends and loved ones in a comfortable bed. You know, it it, uh, it 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 died quickly. It didn't know it was coming. Uh, if it was left to Mother Nature, if teeth had wear down, it had starved to death, um, or a dingo or a fox had kill it, you know, or it'd get stuck in a dam somewhere and drown a horrible death. So, yeah. the reality is, we do we do a lot of animals a favour yeah. in, in our pursuits. But no, hunting to me is um, is being self sufficient. It's exercising independence. It's a self-discipline. Um, you've got to be able to tell yourself, no, I can't take that shot. It's a, lot of, it's a lot harder to say, no, I can't take that shot, than it is, oh, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And, 
and I like to train people in my in my role as a game manager with the game council and now at the range um, I, I like to try and pass on a few things to newcomers and some not so newcomers that you don't have to squeeze the trigger you know it's uh, it's quite it's quite important to know your limitations and um, you know, don't look at too many Yankee DVDs and think you're going to shoot an elk at 700 metres because that's stuff dreams are made of. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, good, mate. Do you, you know, you love your hunting. Do you have any time to sort of participate in any non-hunting-related activities? You know, you've got, I mean, pistols, clay targets, rifle competitions, not just purely a hunter or you just love that hunting or...? Jason, it's, finances are a thing. You know, I, I have trouble keeping up with my passion for long arms. Um, yeah. uh, it, it gets pretty expensive. If I expose myself to handguns and shotguns, <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd end up bankrupt. Mate, speaking no, of that, I, you, I, I, one I, said, you said you were um, you said you had a big a big collection. I mean, you don't, you don't have to discuss it if you if you want to keep that personal. But what sort of collection are we talking about? Old guns? I mean, you know, hundreds. What what do you love, mate? What do you what do you enjoy? Oh, What's no, the... I've got I've, I've got it. I've got somewhere between fifty and sixty. And oh, wow, I, nice. Um, and you can't use them all, but, you know, um, how many sticks does a golf player carry? You That's know? right. He only uses one at a time, and I only use one gun at a time. But um, I've got uh, a lot of armanding guns. I like guns that shoot accurately and a long way away. I've got some, some big bangers. I've got I've got a couple of Swifts. I've got 17 HMRs, a bundle of 22s, 222s, 223s, <laughs> um, 204s, 243s, 6 mil Ackleys. I've got a gaggle of 6.5s. I think they're a great underrated cartridge. Um, 7 mil 08, a few of them. Yeah, I've got a 7 mil, yeah. They're good, very effective cartridge, great for Australia. I've yep. got 7 mil mags, I've got 300 Winchester Magnums. And, Jeez. <laughs> uh, I've got a, quite a few 9.3s, I like the European stuff. I've got uh, a couple of 375s, a 470 cap stick. Um, um, I've got Brown Bess, I've got an old 45577 um, Martini. I've got yeah, I've got a, I've got a bit of a I've got a 5.55 boys anti tank rifle. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. Some time ago, I was accused of shooting a goat at Cobar, but I was actually at Manly Vale at the time, and and they must have thought I did it with my 5.55 boys. <laughs> but, um, um, are we allowed to speak about that or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's ancient history. Yeah. Sure, I remember. Um, I didn't want to ask the question, but I'm glad you're okay to sort of answer. I remember back in the, well, probably was it last year. There was there were some issues where the, the the police got involved that said you were hunting. I think it was with Greg McFarlane, but was found out that was found out to be uh, incorrect. And I think it, if, I, if I'm correct, you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. But it was Eddie Hugenboom. They must have mistaken you for Eddie Hugenboom. Apparently, anyway. So can you tell us just a, well, yeah, a tiny little well, story I think about what that? What happened? I think what happened, a game council employee handed over an, you know, a business card and he was accompanied by a, an older chap with grey hair. Yep. Um, and I happened to be about that age and I got grey hair. But one, you know, I'm, I'm 100 and something kilos and six foot four and the other fellow sort of built more like a jockey. So yeah. Can, you, t- a, can you tell the listeners, because we've got listeners from sort of across the world, Andy, what was the sort of basic premise of what was what was sort of said? Can you just, because people, some people that listen to this show probably won't even know what we're talking about. So can you give us just a little slight background about what the issue was? Oh, uh, well, it, it's alleged that um, 
that uh, a couple of people went on to um, through some national park estate and onto uh, a bit of private land yep. and, and shot an animal, a goat, without permission. Yep. Um, and uh, it was alleged that I was one of those people. And um, unfortunately, um, the minister at the time chose to suspend me without really investigating it. Yep. Um, so I was suspended, and fortunately, um, I was able to produce about 50 points of evidence to the local detectives that proved without a doubt that I was in Sydney. Yep. And um, and once they realised that, they, uh, with with encouragement from the uh, the then chairman and the CEO of Game Council, um, it was straightened out very quickly. But the damage is still done to the reputation. You know, you Google Andy Mallon and everything you find is illegal hunting blah yeah. blah blah so that damage is done and will never go away but fortunately I think most people in the hunting game know that that's not my MO yep. and uh, I was working as a, an enforcement officer with game council uh, our, our, our whole aim was to get people to hunt legally not illegally that's right yep um, so anyway that was a, an unfortunate experience and not a very nice time in my life but uh, that's ancient history now um, yeah, so it's I'm funny how on. they got it wrong so sillily. Like you're about eight hundred, a thousand kilometres away, not even in the area, and some 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 bozo got it wrong. Silly. Well, that's yeah. As I say, ancient history now, Jason. But um, and you know, we can whinge and moan about it. It's not going <laughs> to change anything. The important thing is they found out what actually happened. You exactly. know, and they and they, uh, and they took the appropriate action. Fantastic, mate. Mate, tell us, you've got that mad collection there. Surely there's one baby in there that's just, you know, it's got some nice some nice wood or it's a nice synthetic stock. It's got a bit of a gleam to it. You just love that one. Mate, if you could pick one out of that collection, which one would it be? Well, as I said before, I like the 6.5 Swede. Yeah? And um, if I had to pick up one gun and go and do a job... And I don't care what the job is. I think I'd pick up a 6.5 Swede that I've got. I've got a bit of a collection. I've got, um, I bought one for the wife recently. It's a, it's a Merkel in 6.5 with a switch barrel. It's also got a 223 and a 8x64 Brennecke barrel. Uh, yep. So it's a pretty handy bit of kit. Yep. I've got a frightfully accurate Steyr, um, Pro Hunter. Uh, boring accurate, you know. You, you take it to the range when you want to test other guns, and if you're having a bad day, you just put one through this gun, and and it'll tell you whether it's you or the rifle. It, <laughs> it, it never lets you down. So it's my sort of honesty drop. Um, but six point fives are to me so underrated. It's not funny. It's just a pity they're not legal for Samba and Victoria because they're the most popular moose gun in Scandinavia. Yeah, moose um, are pretty big. <laughs> yeah, we recently uh, did a little. Well, actually, I. I got married recently, and um, yeah. and Margie and I went to Africa for our honeymoon, and um, it was a great trip. And um, we took her um, Merkel 6.5, and I took a 9.3 double gun, and I, I suppose I wish we took 20 animals in total. Wow! Margie dispatched a very handy oryx at 160 metres, with straight through the heart, um, dropped it like a bag of spuds. Um, it didn't know what hit it. Uh, we never recovered. I think the 6.5 probably shot a dozen of the animals that we took, yeah. and we never recovered one bullet. Full penetration, 100%, fantastic blood trail, 140 grain woodley protected point. And, you know, Oryx are a big animal. 
Um, and, um, you know, full penetration on an angling shot through an Oryx is, is, uh, is not to be sneezed at. And, no. and they've, 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 uh, they're a great cartridge. So yeah. I think if I only had, if I had to work with one gun, it'd have to be a 6.5. That's right. Mate, just getting the uh, women out in the hunts, uh, I think, a good feat in itself. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing. Um, Margie's worked in the, um, in, in the firearms-related areas for, uh, for, for 14 years. Uh, but had never been on a hunt, and um, and my late wife Diane passed away four years ago, five years ago, and um, and then I met Margie following that. I'd, I'd known Margie through our, our work, but um, I asked her if she'd ever been hunting, and she said no. And I said, well, we'll have to cure that. So uh, <laughs> we went away on a hunt, and um, I think she she's in her blood. She um, she's a natural. Yeah, nice, mate. Tell us about Silverdale Rifle Range. I mean, you've just become the manager. I mean, tell us how that came about. As I say, I was working for Game Council, and the direction changed. Game Council was folded up, then we became part of DPI, and, um, yeah, things settled down, and we became um, Game Licensing Unit. But I, I was not as happy as I had been with the old Game Council. And I heard uh, through the grapevine that SSAA were looking for a, game, uh, for a, a range manager. So I, uh, I threw my hat in the ring, and um, it was time for a change, and I'm happy with the change. Nice. Mate, what, what, what changes uh, are you expecting to make you know, at the range, some positive changes over, say, the coming you know, 12 months, two years? Okay, well, I've, I've started off trying to do, introduce some, um, some hands-on hunter education stuff. Um, and the one that I am very keen on is caping and butchery. Yeah. Um, that it has like a, a two-edged blade, um, encouraging hunters to make better use of game meat, uh, and that that takes away any waste. Uh, why shoot something if you can't utilise it? And also, I try to educate them that traditional hunting of, of bucks and stags and billies is is good for trophy walls, but it doesn't do anything for herd management. Mm. So if you can teach them that the, the does and the, the nannies taste better, um, then you can actually go hunting, you can get a good product to eat and take home, and you're also affecting a bit of animal herd size management by taking the females out of the game, yep. you reduce the brooding stock, and you can actually have an effective control on, on herd management, which we've really got to start taking ownership of. Yep. Uh, as hunters, it's part of our responsibility to, to keep things under control, uh, and shooting stands won't do anything for a herd size. Uh, so, yes, that's catering and butchering. That's a good one. Um, I want to introduce other simple things like setting up a basic hunting rifle. Uh, teach guys how to zero scopes. Um, introduce them to basic hunting, uh, sorry, basic hand loading for a hunting rifle. Um, camping and bushcraft. I think there's a lot of people that are a little bit uncertain about... Yep. Um, what they need to take into the scrub, uh, how much do they need to spend, how do I tie a knot that'll hold that tent up. You know, there's just there's two or three... I, mean, I, I didn't go through the Boy Scout system, but I went through something similar, and they taught me four simple knots, and they're just brilliant. You know, if you yep. know them, you can do a lot of good stuff. And um, Game meat utilisation, like how to make sausages out of your game meat or how to smoke it, corn it, and, and curing it so that you can nice. you can take home forty kilos of meat and uh, and actually use the whole lot. Yep. Um, I'm probably going to have to attend I myself, wanna... Andy. <laughs> they, they're, they're good. They're actually they're pretty good value, and I'm not 
I'm not blowing my own trumpet. It's big. I've never had uh, a negative from um, these these uh, caping and butchery demos. We we go. I've got, I'll, I'll I'll shoot a deer up the road at the deer farm, and I'll generally I'll generally shoot it, and that damages the least amount of meat and doesn't muck up the actual skull for a for a, a head caping demo. Yep. It's a good humane way to put the animal down, and um, so I then bring it straight down while it's warm. I show the the uh, the, the the punters how to get the the uh, intestines out of the animal cleanly and not spill it. Uh, that's probably one of the most important things you can teach a bloke is how to get the guts out of an animal uh, and not make a terrible green mess. So we yeah. do that first, and then I show how to get the the uh, the cape off, and then how to skin out the head. Um, and have it in a good state to present to your taxidermist. Give them a few options. You know, if they if they want to take the whole head and get it straight into the angle and freeze it, it's got to be a pretty big angle though. If you've got a, a big stag, <laughs> then we then we cut the animal up into all the basic cuts. We take it inside, we chill it down while we have lunch with ice, and then after lunch we we break it down into the top side, the round, the silver side, the back straps, the eye fillet, and we bone out the flap and all the ribs. We mince up stuff, we make top quality mints, we make sausage quality mints, send it home in large cuts that they can pop in their freezer and uh, in the fridge for four days and then slice it up into steaks. Basically, it's teaching them real simple methods to identify the different cuts. Yeah, nice. Um, I'd uh, like to... Sorry, go on. Uh, go on. No, you're, no, you're right. I was going to say, who does it cater for? Is there a lot of beginners, experience, everyone? It just caters for everyone. Who would it sort of cater for? Well, caping and butchering is, is a funny one. Uh, it's aimed at the, uh, at, at, at the newcomer, but there's heaps of guys that, that only ever cut the backstraps out of their animal because they really don't know any more about it than that. True. You know, they know how to hunt animals, they know how to shoot them, but they're not that confident on breaking an animal down. And um, I was taught by a bloke who pointed out that Mother Nature's done all the hard work, she's packaged it and she's even labelled it. You've just got to identify the labelling. When you pull the silver side out of the back leg quite obvious what it is. It's got a great big silver side. And the round steak is the only piece of meat that comes out of the back leg that's shaped like a football. And you think, <laughs> oh, it's obvious, you know. And once you point that out to blokes, I say, gosh, that is simple. And if yeah. it wasn't simple, I wouldn't remember it. So it's, um, yeah, that's, I like to keep it, like dumb it down. Yep. Um, what else do you want to do with Silverdale? We, um, the committee uh, have I've got right behind me. We want to open up the range to as many disciplines as we can. We want to look at the existing facility and say, well, we, it can stand improvement, um, and it certainly can. At the moment, we've uh, we've got nine benches that shoot at 200. We've got six that you can shoot at 100 and 200. We've got 15 benches that are 100 metres only. Two benches you can shoot 50 and 100. Three benches you can shoot 50, 100, and 200. Two benches you can shoot 50 and 200. One dedicated 50 metre bench and one 25 metre bench for sighting in. Now, I've yep. got plans to put in a, an additional 30 50 metre targets. So I want to push the 50 metre mound right across the range, and that will increase. Um, so by increasing those earth berms across the range, it improves range safety. And that also, but every time you improve range safety, um, you increase compliance with registry regulation, you improve the chance of returning this range to an all-caliber range. 
we're, we're slowly getting our ducks in a row um, to go to registry and say we need to relook at the whole range of authority. Yeah. And, Speaking uh, of that, Andy, what sort of at the moment? Uh, I guess the first question is what sort of uh, restrictions on calibers are there at the moment, and also the uh, range templates and the calibers. Uh, expand on that about trying to get the calibers back, and if so, what would it go up to, or what would your plan be? Well, it's it's a limited danger range, so it basically means that we can't allow any projectile because we don't have the luxury of a, of a one and a half kilometre safety zone behind the range. Um, we have to make sure that all, all projectiles stay within the confines of that range. So that's carried out by earth berms across the range to reduce the chances of any ricochet uh, from an errant shot. Uh, we have large earth, earth mound at the rear that catches all bullets that go in their intended direction, so downrange and through targets. The, earth, the big earth mound at the back stops that. Um, initially... Um, there is a large bulletproof eyebrow baffle that sits down in front of the shooting position so that if the muzzle is raised, it can't actually send one over the, the back mound. Yeah. It would be captured and destroyed by this bulletproof uh, eyebrow baffle. What I'm hoping to do by improving cross burns across the, the range is reducing to a nil factor, a ricochet from an errant shot off the ground, I would like to see, at some stage, movable baffles, some sort of adjustable baffles that could be brought down to possibly a prone position or raised so that you can shoot centre-fire rifle offhand. Oh, yeah. um, as far as going for all calibres, uh, I don't know how we're going to go there, but I have a plan for shooting tubes on a few benches, just uh, removable tubes made like concrete stormwater pipes basically yep um and that would be my uh, i've done the, the maths on this and about a 7.2 meter by one meter diameter tube and that would absolutely it'd be impossible to get a bullet off range yeah, any right. bullet fired down that tube could only end up in the backstops and i can't see any good reason why that wouldn't be um acceptable to registry for all calibers what would that they, go? They up, what would have, that go up to, Andy? Like, what sort of calibers that people, or what ones I, where I, people I, have now that are, are sort of not suitable at the moment? Okay, at the moment, the registry has placed a restriction of anything over three thousand foot pound of energy at two hundred meters. Now, that's an unusual calculation, but it's an energy based thing, and they are, they said that anything that exceeds three thousand foot pound at two hundred meters can't be shot on the range. Now. A 300 Winchester Magnum is acceptable. A 300 Weatherby with anything over 150 grain bullets is not. Yep. A 375 Holland and Holland with 270 grain projectiles is acceptable, but 300 grains is not. Wow. A 378 Weatherby is not acceptable. You know, so you've got to look at your ballistics charts, and we are we are currently using a set of charts out of America because America they were available. It's produced by a mob called Chuck Hawks, and uh, it's a ballistic table. Now, it's a little bit of it's a bit of a dog's breakfast. You know, some some of the figures are all over the shop, and um, I'd like to see registry when we get a chance and when we've got our improvements done. See registry and say why is this limitation there? What is the mechanical and physical reasoning for it? 
because we're very fortunate at SSAA Sydney Branch. We've got a brains trust of 33,000 paying members. I'm sure if you put out an SOS, there'd be some pretty good brains that come up with answers to most most problems. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would be going to. I'd be going to social media and saying, here we are, guys. This is the reasoning behind this limitation. We need to come up with a sound, sensible solution and then go back to registry and say, we've solved your problem. Why can't we raise the limitation? Yeah. Okay. How, how do you reckon that'll go positive? You reckon you'll get a positive outcome with that? I'm positive, mate. I'm always positive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think... If you, if you look at things like the range users' guidelines and you see, you see what they suggest, if you make sure that everything you do complies with, with, with their written word, uh, and that's not hard to do, um, and we're fortunate, we've got some pretty switched-on people um, on the committee um, and they've, they've got ideas, uh, I've got ideas, and I think we've just got to get ourselves all pushing in the right direction uh, I think we've, there's a very good chance of success because the limitations aren't based on anything that I can find. It's just oh, we felt like imposing that. So I'd like to see a good mechanical reason for it. And I've seen, I've, I've identified a few areas that we could improve. So let's get that done first uh, and make sure it complies with, um, with registry's requirements. Uh, and, then, and then we'll go forward. Nice. I know there's, um, and I, this is my, my little bit of a pet peeve of mine, Andy, there's been an issue, or there has been, sorry, at times, I, I attend a lot of forums, and there's been, people have yeah. turned up at uh, Silverdale uh, with a muzzle break, and uh, possibly some previous staff members have possibly hassled out some shooters, um, so one, tell us about muzzle breaks, two, has the issue been sorted out, and how can we cater for people with muzzle breaks, because I always talk to people and they say... Um, oh, you know, oh, it's cause I've got a muzzle break on one of my firearms, and they say, "Oh, it's a bit loud." And I'm like, "Well, you didn't get into shooting because it's quiet, so you got to toughen up a bit." So tell us about the muzzle breaks and uh, how we're going to address these okay, issues. Well, we used we used to only have five benches that were allocated to muzzle breaks, and they were they had a little bit of a, a, a plywood facing uh, on the extreme left and the extreme right of those five benches. Yeah, and they had a bit of soundproofing material on, and yeah, I'm the first to admit that if you're if you're going out for a, a relaxing day at the range, sometimes it can be a bit disconcerting to have a um, you know a seven mil ultra mag <laughs> with a break on it giving it to you. Yeah. But um, as you say, you go to the rifle range it is a, a potentially noisy environment. You should have adequate hearing protection. Um, what we're doing, we've we've currently extended that muzzle break zone to eight bays instead of five. Um, so you can shoot at this area, at this stage on an area that's got a little bit of uh, sound baffling uh, at 200 metres and 100 metres. But we are planning in the... I'm hoping to see within six months we will have um, a new range officer training program in place and we'll be clearing every firearm off the bench. And that will return to using magazines. Yep. Um, at the moment, it's only single round loading. You can pop a single round into your magazine box if you need to, because some rifles you can't drop them straight into the chamber. Yep. But uh, we'd like to return to magazine operation, and that will require all rifles being cleared off the bench by an RO. Because of that, we are going to put rifle racks at each bench with the muzzles pointing downrange. Okay. Now, yep. that would require... 
That would require a plywood backing sheet to support the rifle racks. We'll put some sort of soundproofing material on each of those. So in effect, every bay will have its own um, sound baffling. So we won't have a problem with, with, with brakes being used on any bench. Okay. Nice. Sounds, sounds pretty, pretty good. So it's going to be a nice, pleasant and exciting atmosphere out at Silverdale. Well, we're hoping so. I'm, my aim is to make sure that everyone that leaves Silverdale leaves there with a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling in their guts. <laughs> now, I, if they go home having, having had an ex- enjoyable experience, a good interaction with the staff, um, and we've got guys walking the line. There's a lot of experience out there with our staff, and, and I like to interact with as many of the shooters as I can, ask them how their pet rifle's going, is it behaving itself today, is it not? Um, Sometimes I can offer them a bit of advice. Sometimes they teach me a few things. So it's a it's it's a good good environment. Um, but yeah, if if uh, if they go home, if the average shooter goes home thinking oh, I had a great day there, well he's going to be likely to come back. Sure. And that's what the whole idea is about. It's a it's a customer service uh, um, situation, and, and um, we're there to, to help our customers and help our members. And and I enjoy that interaction with the shooters. It, it's, it's good fun. And what we're noticing is so many blokes come out with a brand new gun. They're probably a little bit embarrassed to ask for help. Um, uh, the gun's been bore sighted at the shop. Now we know that that's only only so good. You know, it might get you on paper at 25. Uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't, depending on the operator of the bore sighter. But uh, we encourage guys when you come to the range, if your gun's not zeroed. Tell us, we'll send you straight down to bench 40. If you're not competent or confident yourself, we'll come and give you a hand. Because last thing I want to see is a bloke going home after putting 60 bullets down his brand new 308 with his chin down around his knees thinking, this bloody thing doesn't shoot and he doesn't want to come back again. So yeah. you, instead of gaining a, a new shooter, you've lost one. So five minutes spent with this bloke, get his gun on paper quick, um, send him home. He goes home with a good feeling and he's happy with his new purchase. Um, he's, you, you might have a bloke hooked for good and, and I, my aim is to make get as many people involved in the sport and, uh, and pursuit and try and teach them how to do it the right way Nice work Mate, we're just going to go to a quick uh, advertisement or quick break, uh, we'll be right back with Andy Mallon For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store for a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412 495 712. Hey, Mars, did you know there's a place in New South Wales that gun owners, hunters and sporting shooters are very familiar with? Of course, Jason, that place is Horsley Park Gun Shop. That's because they've been around for 30 years and have built a reputation for being the best in the business. They have an extensive range of firearms, ammunition, gun safes, optics and accessories for all your hunting and shooting requirements. And did you know, Jason, they always have bulk ammo specials? Absolutely. The friendly staff at Horsley Park Gun Shop are always there to help you and give you the best advice. 
Horsley Park Gun Shop are open Monday to Saturday and you can find them on the internet at hpgs.com.au. Come and talk to the team at Horsley Park Gun Shop at 1848 Horsley Road, Horsley Park or call them on 9620 1313. G'day, I'm Peter Johnson from the Shooters and Fishers Party and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. In 2015... New South Wales hunters will have an important decision to make. You can trust one of the major parties to fight for the rights of hunters, or you can trust the party that has been fighting for shooters and fishers for 20 years. The Shooters and Fishers Party are the only party fighting for our rights. So, in March 2015, please support the party that is supporting hunters, the Shooters and Fishers Party. Find out more at www.sfp2015.org.au. Andy, we we're talking about um, the hunter education, etc. I know you said it was if it's in its early stages, but has there been a lot of interest in? Uh, first off, how many courses have we conducted so far, and um, has there been a lot of interest from you know shooters and hunters wanting to uh, figure out uh, how to attend to their game meet? Yes, there has, mate. Yes, yes. Um... Well, let me see. Um, <laughs> a lot of yeah. Where do you start? <laughs> like, game meat is an important thing, and and to me, it's a fantastic resource. It's it's actually the trophy for me, and, and not so much the uh, the antlers or horns. Um, so teaching guys how to make the the best of that is is a good thing, and, and I've learnt the hard way. I bought home in the early days. I bought home a heap of venison and goat meat. And the family just, they curled their nose up and said, what's this rubbish? And then after a lot of disappointment like that, I, I taught myself and was given advice by other blokes who were pretty good at it, and I picked up a few things. But uh, if I can save guys that disappointment of bringing home 60, 80 kilos of meat only to have their wife throw it straight in the bin, um, I, I'd like to do that. But um, we've got, because of my, my bad background with um, Game Council and Game Licensing Unit, uh, they did have a great program going which was called Outreach. Uh, it had some very good modules, some very good components for hunter education and and they're about to relaunch that. Um, they've got a bloke by the name of Mike Welsh who's um, ex-forestry. He's now in charge of their education unit and, and Joe Amoroso from um, Abellas. Uh, he's working with them as their education officer. So with assistance from those guys, once they get their modules ready to go again, we'll be delivering them as well as, uh, as our own. I've also got a little pet thing that I want to reintroduce. Uh, up on the pistol range end of our range, uh, the range authority allows um, rim fires to be shot off hand, muzzle loaders to be shot off hand, and centre fire rifles with lead projectiles to be shot off hand. Now, we want to introduce um, more activity, get better usage out of that end of the range. And uh, I've got a, I've got a, a, a pet thing these days for offhand shooting using shooting sticks. It's it, the African professional hunters insist on it, and there's a bloody good reason for that. If you don't get it right over there, the animal's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, so, it's good. <laughs> you, you've got to be able to when you shoot at something. If he says, "Can you hit that?" If you you know you, you you've got to give yourself every chance. And we were recently exposed to it. And the sticks made, uh, Margie in particular, a novice shooter, made her very competent and confident. And, and I've, I've been just amazed at how well the shooting sticks have improved my shooting ability. 
and they're not hard to carry and I'd like to start introducing that and, and get people, training people how to use them yep. up at that offhand end because that to me is uh, re a really useful hunter education tool. Uh, whereas the benches, they allow us to get our loads right, to tune our scope and our hunting rifle, but it doesn't teach us how to shoot in field conditions. So I want to try and get that thing and drive that home to blokes that are going to go bush. Because yep. you can't just drag up a 150-kilo concrete bench um, every time you want to take a shot at an animal. Exactly. A lot different, isn't it? Very much different than uh, being out in the bush and have to shoot, you know, standing up and freehanded it is. Well, I, I took a shot over in Namibia a little while ago at an animal that was at a bloody long way. It was a hell of a long way off. And I, I stood up on the sticks and I thought, no, no, I'm just not confident with that. But the sticks were there. I was out in the middle of no man's land. So I just dropped to my left knee, rested my right elbow on my right knee, which was elevated, put the gun up against the, the side of the sticks, and the, the crosswires were dead steady. I was able to, to shoot this animal straight through the heart-lung area. It was about 300 metres. Um, and without those sticks, I could not, could not have done it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they're a great tool. Um, they're used throughout Africa extensively. They're used quite a lot in Europe. Uh, and I think Aussie hunters would uh, would benefit from having a quick look at them. And they're not expensive. You can make them yourself for 20 bucks. Uh, but what it does for your shooting abilities, quite amazing. Yep. Andy, you know when people are obviously getting game meat, a lot of people, you know, unless you're a butcher, I guess, a lot of people are a bit nervous and they're not sure to how to identify, say, sick animals that may not be fit for human consumption. So during the course for hunter education, learning about meats, will they also learn about what they should be looking for so they make sure their meat they do bring home is not, you know, is not spoiled or not doesn't have any issues with it? I can I can give them a heads up on how to make sure the meat doesn't spoil through poor handling, but I'm not a meat inspector and I'm not a vet. Yep. So when it comes to identifying um, animals that have got health problems, uh, the best thing I can call on is some very good uh, material produced by the um, it's the it's the Scottish Deer Commission. That's stuff from the UK. But it's all very relevant to what we do here. And they have um, downloadable um, fact sheets on, on everything from how to improve your local forest to support a deer population right through to um, the five or six different stages of breaking an animal down, um, how to identify the cuts, how to inspect the internal organs. So I can make all that stuff available to the, uh, to the guys that do this course. And as I say... I always go back to that old thing, if it doesn't look like something that you got from the butchers, then yeah, leave exactly. it in the bush. What's the feedback been like on the course anyway? Feedback been really, really positive or? It has, it has. And I've had guys that have come back a second and third time. They've, they've said, I learned a bit, but I need, I need to see that again. And, and yeah, it is good. I think blokes uh, and girls, we've had a few females go through the course as well. Uh, it's not... Um, it's not a bloodthirsty, glory affair. It's, it's, I try and make it as simple and as straightforward as possible. And I did it at the, uh, at the last shot show at uh, Rose Hill Racecourse. I yep. did that um, with SSAA. And it was the first demonstration on the, on the Saturday morning. It was a bit quiet. But once word got out, they were full houses and, uh, and, and people were very uh, interested in what we were presenting. 
and yeah, I'll keep doing it. I think it's a great thing, uh, and and there's a lot to be gained by it. Not only, as I say, from utilising what you shoot, um, but also from as a game management tool. Yeah, it's, it's a great a great thing. That's right. I certainly remember going out and you know doing rabbits and that, which is pretty easy. And I remember the first time I think I did a uh, goat for the first time, big goat and. It sort of, you know, I remember, you know, looking at a lot of YouTube videos and just when, when I first did my first one, certainly it was very, very daunting. So I think it'd be great for people to, to go along to get a good idea before they even go out in the field just to, you know, find yeah. out what they need to do. Because I remember when I had my first goat and it was warm and I was pulling the guts out and I was like, oh, this thing stinks to high heaven. And it was, it was just a bit overwhelming. So it would have been great if I'd actually yeah. you know, tried to do a 10, a 10 one before or something like that beforehand. Just to get a good idea about how it, you know, how it's supposed to go, and you know where to do this and what to cut, and you know how to sort of, you know, I mean, obviously people, you know, nothing better than experience, but certainly to get you on the way. Well, what I what I like to do, um, just on a simple uh, breakdown course with an animal, get get the animal to the scene, guts in, and then we say, right, this is what we're going to do. I show them first simple thing is how to get that rope because I carry a little rope tackle with me. Yep. I carry a bum bag. In one pocket, I've got a rope tackle that can pick up. I can put, I can put a 450-kilo animal in the air on my own with, wow. with one of these rope tackles. And, and it carries in my bum bag, and I've got a length of rope that I throw over a tree branch first, and then it, it comes down. I tie the tackle onto that. I heave the tackle up, and I extend it as I go. I have a rope gambrel, which I just need a little bush stick to keep the two hooks apart. That's in another part of my bum bag. I've got cable ties to tie off the esophagus and tie off the anus. Um, I carry um, I carry a, a serrated wire bone saw if I need to uh, extract a pig's jaw or I can cut a skull cap off with that. Um, yeah. What else do I carry? <laughs> I Sounds carry like MacGyver. <laughs> I've also, in the very back of the backpack, I've got a queen-size bed mosquito net, right? Mm-hmm. It'll go over a queen-size bed. It's got a spring steel top in it, and it rolls up into a thing a quarter the size of a football. It goes in the back of my bum bag. So when I shoot an animal, like generally, if you're going to hunt a meat animal, you're out at dawn. I get out early. I might shoot an animal by 8 o'clock, 7.30. I'll gut it. I'll leave the skin on, I'll put the meat bag over it or the mozzie net over it, I'll tie that off, I'll hoist the thing up above where a wild dog or a fox can get at it and I'll keep hunting for the day. Put it in a shady spot, I'll come back later in the day, it's dripped out, it's bled, it's set up um, and I can continue hunting. I haven't got to give up my hunt just because I put one on the ground, I can continue on. Yeah. And um, I've been doing that for years and uh, it, it just means you don't get fly strike. Your animal's clean. You're not rolling it around on the ground while you're trying to get the skin off or get the guts out. I do show blokes how to do it on the ground, but I say, you can go to Bunnings or to Robbo's Spare Parts and you can buy one of these tackles for $25. Yeah. And Speaking of that, no Andy, do you show you people like that? Do you Like when doing these courses, do you show people like, well, if you're out in the bush, this is what you can use? Yeah. Perfect, yeah. yep. Yeah, I, I, show them, I show them what you can do if you don't have anything with you. But I show them what you can carry and how yep. little it costs to set yourself up. Nice. Uh, and basic knives. I, I, I probably show the average, the average course. I would put out fifty or sixty knives on the table, 
all different shapes and sizes and different configurations and different purposes, and I'll then show them the three that I use. And I say, this is what I use, and I use these for these reasons. Yeah. But here's a great choice you can have a look at, and they'll all do the job. It's just what works for you. Sure. Um, there's some great new things on the market. There's these back-to-front knives, like a, a gut zipper, and um, they are such a great thing. And um, some years ago, like 2012, I, I promised myself I'd hunt Africa, and I took myself over there on the first hunt. And um, I was actually supposed to go with Robert Borzak and his two boys, but for some reason they couldn't go at the end, so I went on my own. And another mate suggested that I working with the uh, the native trackers and skinners and, and they're not overly paid you know they're, they're, they're on a pretty low wage and he said take over a handful of butchering knives and um and they'll they'll go down very well with the uh, the native staff so i took over a heap of uh, curved back boners and uh, some little poultry knives with four and a half inch blades just for doing fine work caping out yep and um when i got over there they they, they thought they were great and uh, i got <laughs> pretty good value out of that but I've got photographs. Uh, one of the animals I took, or a couple of the animals I took, were pretty big, and uh, they don't get any bigger. And I've got photographs of these fellas actually skinning out an elephant with a little four-inch blade poultry knife. And it's the funniest thing, but they said, these are perfect, you know. And, um, yeah, really, uh, really interesting stuff, knives and what, what they're designed to do and what you can do with them. Yeah. Mate, what's your opinion? I mean, as there's a lot of places to hunt, we've obviously seen uh, with the Game Council, there was, you know, obviously state forests opening up for hunting. You know, what we thought at this stage was going to be National Park, that sort of hasn't adventurated to what we thought it was going to be at this stage. But, I mean, what do you mm-hmm. think about the statuses of hunting, especially, you know, hunting you know, in New South Wales or, and across the country? You think it's in a good way? And what about gun ownership you know, in Australia? Well... That's a contentious one. Um, I think hunters, hunters in New South Wales have probably never had it better when it comes to areas and the, the, the amount of area that they can hunt legally. Uh, if you didn't have access to private land before, you had to jump a fence. And that was the way it was for many, many years. Um, these days, we've got access to some of the best hunting country with public land access. Uh, some of the areas closer to Sydney are probably hunted out. The, the, all the dumb animals got shot in the first six months. Um, <laughs> but but the, they still produce. Some of the forests around Oberon that are within an easy sort of two or three hours drive of Sydney, they still produce some pretty good animals. Uh, if you know your stuff and you take advantage of the stuff that's available to you, the stuff on the Six Viewer, Google Earth, um, you can do a lot of your reconnaissance before you leave home. True. Uh, and that's that's one of these education modules that was developed by Game Licensing Unit or Game Council. That if you can get that through to blokes, they can do a lot of good research before they even hit the bush. Um, but you now, yeah, hunting, public land hunting is good. Private land hunting, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's always going to be harder and harder because individual property owners out west. Uh, they're selling up and moving and large corporations are buying up um, a lot of these small holdings. So whereas you might have had 10 or 15 families living along a road between Collar and Brian Lightning Ridge, you've only got three managers there now for big companies. And, and they have their own internal professional shooters that look after their problems. So that access out west is getting a bit harder. Um, but 
you know, maybe the national parks thing uh, will sort itself out at the moment with the um, the, S- the, uh, the SPC program, the SSAA. Yep. There's access to a, a small number of parks. Um, I know a few blokes that have taken part in it and, and they've had pretty good success. But, you know, 12, 12 national parks is is not what the initial plan was and it'd be nice to see that um, get off the ground. Yeah. But um, there's always someone out there that's that's trying to shut us down and uh, and the antis, don't ever underestimate them. They're, um, they're educated, they're motivated and they're pretty well financed. Um, so we've got to be on our guard. We've got to make sure we play the game above board. And most importantly, we've all got to be on the same side. You know, we, we get factionalised and we, we, we fight amongst ourselves and all that does is, is give, give them a great old belly laugh. And um, you know, whilst we're ever divided and fighting, we're a lot more susceptible. So I think the sooner we get ourselves on the one page, um, peer pressure is a good thing. Uh, I think slowly but surely we're we're stamping out bad practices, and uh, and I always encourage guys to when they join when they get a firearms license, join a club, get into a club. You'll get a bit of mentoring, training, um, and you'll get access to newsletters and and magazines that keep you up to date with the current situation. Uh, a bloke sitting out there on his own is no good to anyone, but. If, if you're one of 186,000, well, then you can you can do some good. Yeah, mate, exactly. Good stuff. Um, we're just, again, we're just going to go to a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back with Andy Mallon. This is an ad for the Liberal Democrats. But the Liberal Democrats don't want me to talk about them. They want me to talk about you. People should control governments. Governments shouldn't control people. In fact, the Liberal Democrats think the less you hear from the government, the better. Unless you're hurting someone, governments should get out of the way and let you live the life you want. The Liberal Democrats. More freedom, less government. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. Courses are held every first Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person, so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit SSAAsydney.net. All right, Andy, mate, on this show, no one's uh, susceptible not to be uh, do my little segment we run here on the Australian Hunting Podcast, which is five questions, a little bit of a fun segment, five questions in under a minute. You think you'll be able to take the challenge? Five questions in under a minute? Uh, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. All right, here we go. I'll, I'll, I'll start it when I start asking the first question. All right, here we go. Uh, in five words or less, describe what hunting means to you. Satisfaction enjoyment, good food, fun. Okay, favourite game species to hunt and why? Pigs, 
because uh, it's just so exciting. All right. Your proudest moment or experience you have had being a hunter, and what was it? I think when I was able to take an elephant cleanly, um, and it was yeah, it was it was a bloody dangerous situation, and uh, yeah, it, it all worked out well, and I was quite proud of myself at the end of it, and uh, yeah. All right. If you could hunt anywhere in the world, possibly now that you haven't hunted there, somewhere new in the world, where would it be and why? I'd like to hunt North America. I think they've got a great variety of game. Um, I haven't done it yet, and I would like to do it. Um, oh, gee. <laughs> Probably my double rifle. Uh, yeah, just because it's a real, real pretty bit of kit, and it works. All right, mate, 116. Oh, it's over the one minute, mate, but that's all right. It's just a bit of a fun segment on the show that we... Uh, <laughs> You know that we like to, we like to, we like to do. It's always a bit of fun. Put people on the spot. Bit yeah. of a bit of an interesting thing, mate. To finish off, um, one question I'd like to ask is: uh, tell us a story. Sorry, Josh, for you actually, tell us a story, mate. I mean, something uh, a good experience you've had. Maybe a, a hunting trip. Maybe a personal accomplishment. Anything you want. Uh, listeners always like to hear uh, the guests come on and tell them an awesome story. So, you know, what maybe a hunting story, what you were hunting, time of day, just tell us the whole thing. Sell it to the listeners and we'll finish off with the story. Well, gosh, this is a toughie. Um, <laughs> I thought about this and, yeah, I just people underestimate pigs. Um, I, I've, I've been hunting pigs for a lot of years and I've shot an enormous number of pigs and I've taken them with dogs and knives and bow and arrow and in all different situations. But I had two very notable charges, and, and most blacks go through their whole hunting life and never get charged fed eaten by a pig. And, and I was charged on two separate occasions by completely unprovoked animals. One was up... Um, where was it? It was up on the uh, Norman... in the Norman River in the Gulf Country. And I'd been out in the morning... And I'd, I'd shot about half a dozen real good pigs and I'd GPS them. I walked back to camp and I borrowed a motorbike off one of the guys and I was going to go back and pick up the jaws. And uh, I'm puttering through the long grass in the savannah country and just having a great old time just checking the, uh, the old GPS indicator. And next thing, I'm on, the, I'm on the bum and the motorbike's on its side and what's happened here? And I look around, there's this great big boar pig and he's jammed up under the bike, and he's chewing away at the back wheel, and I thought, what happened there? And he's obviously just charged out of the long grass and knocked me base over apex. And I got the rifle off my back, and I dispatched the pig, and um, I had a bit of a look at him, and he down the left-hand side of his jaw, he had this filthy great ulcer right the way down the left-hand side of his jaw. And later on, when I boiled out the, the, the jaw, because he had big teeth, one, when I boiled it out, he had this ulcerated sore that went right through his jawbone and into the the the, um, the roots of his teeth. I'd say he'd been hit by a bullet or he'd been been hit by another pig tusk and opened him up. So he was living 24-7 with a tremendous headache, bad toothache. Very first thing that it woke him, he said, well, I'll go and kill that or I'll go and have a chew on that, and I happened to be it. So that's one instance where, for, for no reason other than he was just in pain all the time, he decided to have a crack at me. The other bloke, I was in a, a, a swamp at, uh, at Colorinibri and Mungandai, up to my knees, and um, I was going through. Next thing, there's just this splash, and this pig came out of a lignum bush. Luckily, it was deep water, and it slowed him up. 
and he was just going to have a slice of me for no reason. And uh, I shot him, and when I dragged him out, we boiled it out, his front, his bottom jaw was split right down the centre between the front teeth and had been broken for a long time. So wow. whether he's been hit by a vehicle or fighting, so these are just two instances and I've got both the jaws downstairs and if I do hunt a red, especially where pig shooting is involved or pig hunting, I say, don't assume he's going to run away. So for that one reason, I don't suggest you hunt pigs with a 223. <laughs> if they're going to have a crack at you, you probably want something with a bit more authority. But... Um, yeah, that's just something that I always bring up, especially with new hunters, because you see a lot of them going out bush with small guns chasing pigs, and uh, that concerns me. Yeah, but, um, true. Is that sort of what you're after? Yeah, or? mate, yeah, yeah, no, we always like to, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, each individual is yeah. different, and just, you know, hearing a good story and, you know, people mm. explaining it in different ways, it's just, you know, it's always good. Nobody wants to hear my stories, so <laughs> that's why I get guests on the show. They want to hear, you know, some fun, interesting I'll stories. i to you. <laughs> You'd be about the only one, mate. <laughs> nah. But, Andy, tell us, mate, if people wanted to, I hope I'm not going to put you on the spot, and hopefully there's probably a lot of stuff here. Um, where, I guess if they want to join SSAA, one, where do they go? Two, where is Silverdale Rifle Range? Um, you know, opening times. I mean, is there a website, a phone number to call if they want to yeah. book into Hunter Education? Can you give me all those details, where they can go, a Facebook okay, page? Well, if you... Uh Okay, Silverdale Rifle Range is um, it's five kilometres south of Silverdale Township on Silverdale Road. Uh, the address is 395 Avoca Road. So you go five kilometres south along Silverdale Road, turn left into Avoca Road and follow the 4.2 kilometre signs and you'll see the flag at the front gate. It's around... I live over in the, in the Sutherland Shire. It's about a... An hour and a quarter for me. Um, it's about a half an hour drive, 35 minute drive from Penrith. Um, you can join SSAA online or you can go to the membership office at the St Mary's Indoor Shooting Centre and they have the membership office upstairs. That's 30 Power Street, St Mary's. Yep. Um, the phone number at the Silverdale Range is uh, 4653 you can get onto the website, which is... Double S, double A, Sydney, dot net. Double S, double A, Sydney. Dot net. I think it is, I'm correct, because I do, we do... That's good, thanks for that, because I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an internet dinosaur. No, that's We've got opening times, the gates open at 8am, and they close at 4 we shoot from 9 until 3.45. We have a, a target change every hour on the hour. Um, as I said, our calibre limitations, most of your standard velocity stuff, like your, your, your non-magnum cartridges are fine. Um, your 30 your 308, uh, your 9.3s, your 375 Holland and Holland with a 270 Griner, um, uh, your 7 mil rim mags, uh, all your 7.08s and obviously your, your rim fires and your, your varmint cartridges are all fine. Um, yeah, we, we, um, we have cold drinks, we have hot tea, we have plenty of hot pies. Um, if you turn up and you feel like a hot pie, just let us know and we'll make sure we've got those ready for you to go. I, I walk the line uh, most of the day chatting with people and I, if, if I feel like doing, I do the hard sell and... and um, <laughs> And might rattle a few pies through. 
Nah, mate, that's good, man. So I guess, mate, thanks for coming on the show to have a, a chat with me about, you know, Silverdale Rifle Range, about the new, you know, uh, hunter education programs. We do a bit of, um, through James Walsh and SSSA Sydney, we do some advertising for... Double uh, SAA Sydney and the Hunter Education Program. So hopefully that's you know we're here at the show benefiting by getting people in. It's and it's going to help get more people, I guess, through the gates so to speak, and get them out hunting, get them out shooting, get them in there knowing about you know game preparation, you know, how to make sure their you know their their meat doesn't spoil, how to utilize it. One question, Andy, too, is there sometime in the future people? I mean, obviously there's plenty of recipes on the net. Is there going to be any game preparation? And then we'll okay, great, we've got all this. Uh, meat, you know, how are we going to cook it? Is there going to be anything in the future maybe about you know game meat prep and recipes? No? or Well, I'd like to think we can do that, but as part of the game meat utilisation, we'll be doing sausage making and how, yep. to, how to smoke some sausage or how to smoke some meat, um, how to make your own jerky, yep. um, how to make corn venison. Um, so that's, that's, that's in the future as well. Perfect. And I can attest to that, people. I've seen Andy making... Uh, uh, sausages and uh, they were certainly damn damn tasty when, when we're at Rob Borzak's house and uh, he certainly knows what he's doing so I can I can vouch for a, for a real quality uh, experience if you go there so Andy thanks for coming on the show really appreciate your time today and being able to have a chat with me appreciate it thanks Jason and just I'd reiterate if anyone comes out to Silverdale Range and they're not certain about anything please don't be don't be shy have a chat with us if we can help you out we certainly will You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.